today on Ag News Daily. I'm a fertilizer guy, so I look at it strictly from a fertilizer point of view, and that's one, so many inputs go in to raise a crop every single year. But from a strict fertilizer point of view, the value is significantly better than where it was 12 months ago, 24 months ago. With the Farm Smart Podcast, we're not just talking change, we're making change together. Farm Smart is where sustainability meets opportunity. We're helping growers leverage sustainable practices and products to record positive environmental impacts and provide new revenue streams. Tune in to learn more about sustainable ag and the opportunities and incentives that are enabling us to get to the future faster. Get the Farm Smart podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at nutrientagsolutions.com slash farmsmart. Good day, listeners. September 21st, 2023, Ag News Daily Podcast Edition brought to you by the Farm Smart podcast. Visit nutrientagsolutions.com slash farmsmart to find their podcast. Delaney, I am an uncle again this morning. Oh, well, congratulations, Tanner. A girl or a boy? We have uh, Danny William, which is a boy, my sister's new son. Well, congratulations. That's very exciting. Yeah, it uh, was exciting to, uh, well, it will be exciting to go see and meet him, of course, as always. It's always fun, too, to get the opportunity to meet some of our listeners. Make sure you guys follow us on social media so that way you can connect with us. Uh, when we're out at these trade shows, but going to have some good conversations, some good headlines for you today. Delaney, starting with some letters, with some weather, not letters. There's lots of letters in these headlines. Isolated storms are forecasted again for Iowa and Illinois this afternoon. Some are expected also this weekend. Likely will bring lightning to the area with active weather patterns that could stay in a path pathway through Sunday. Some of the storms may turn severe. Chances of showers will range 40 to 70% Saturday is the highest percentage. We still have air quality alerts in northern Minnesota from smoke from the wildfires in Canada. And of course, if you are part of the sensitive group, you with lung disease or other heart disease or problems, you maybe should limit your time outside using heavy exertion during that time period. Also continuing to watch the East Coast as they brace themselves for uh, high waves, storm surges that are coming from those tropical storms themselves. Otherwise, uh, looks like everything else is reported as usual. And we woke up to some fog this morning, just like predicted yesterday. Yeah, we certainly did. And I'm sure that'll keep folks out of the field, at least for a short bit of time here this morning, but not for long, Tanner. Yesterday, we wrapped up the Federal Reserve's two-day meeting and did not see an official interest rate hike, which was in line with what a mixed bag there for what folks were thinking we would see. However, moving forward, the Fed did indicate that there will be more interest rate hikes to come. It sounds like it is very likely that we will see an interest rate hike coming out of the November meeting, Tanner as well as a few more indications we could see interest rate hikes again in 2024. The Federal Reserve said that they are expecting economic growth expect expectations for this year to go up fairly steadily with GDP growth now expected to rise only 2.1%. Tanner, as we look at other factors impacting the Federal Reserve's decision, Brent crude oil continues to soar to nearly $100 per barrel. 
International Energy Benchmark is expecting Brent crude futures prices for quarter three to rise by more than 26% this quarter. And on Tuesday, we saw them put on nearly half a percent in prices on track for a four-day streak of gains. That's We've seen uh, 13 of the last 16 trading days seeing positive moves in Brent crude oil. So gasoline prices are already on the rise here nationally, and that also will impact inflation and the Federal Reserve's interest rate hikes. But from July to August, Tanner, do you want to guess how much gas costs have jumped? Uh, is it 10 to 15 percent? I think you're reading the same story. You're absolutely right. Uh, we saw it jump 11 percent from July to August. I think I also just am a user of gasoline and pay attention to the price at the pumps. But yes, the Fed officials have made it very clear that they expect the median rate at the end of the year to be about the same as their original projection coming out of June at 5.6%. They're continuing to maintain their long-term strategy for rates to stay where they are at at the 22-year high. Stocks did slip a little bit yesterday, pairing with earlier gains, sending the S&P 500 down. But also across the world, the Bank of England ended its run of 14 straight interest rate hikes after the cooler than expected inflation numbers on their side of things. So we're looking globally at mon monetary policy. Their committee voted five to four in favor of maintaining its rate at their September meeting. Uh, instead of a 25 basis point hike. So they are at five and a quarter. So it looks like the financing costs delaying around the world are continuing to carry some of the same trends themselves. We'll continue to keep an eye, like I said, on that November meeting and where that takes a look at. The NASDAQ fell 1.5% lower, and now this is considered a hawkish pause. Of course, politicians... Those that are looking to be presidential candidates will weigh in on this pretty heavily and give their opinion as well. But certainly a pause for now might not be a pause for long. Well, Tanner, we're also seeing a pause on the next farm bill as we approach the deadline here. That, of course, expires September 30th. We're now starting to see quite a few Senate and House agriculture officials have made it clear that December is the new target for passage for the next farm bill. Of course, as it expires on September 30th, we'll have to see some sort of short-term funding bill passed to keep farm bill programs alive and well. But there is little peri, excuse me, there is little peril really until the dairy subsidies terminate on December 31st. So aside from the dairy subsidies, there should not be too many programs that are affected even if the Farm bill does expire here in just about 10 days. But of course, Senate Agriculture Chairwoman Debbie Stabenow has really been leading the charge here as she will not be running for re-election and she's viewing this as the ending of her legacy here. So she has said she is very dedicated to getting the farm bill wrapped up in the Senate by the end of the year, Tanner. Yeah, a little personal motivation will go a long way. The first Monarch electrical autonomous tractor is in the Midwest. California has already seen these tractors at work for some time, but until this month, 
monarch had not ventured east, the University of Missouri got the first college to land a monarch tractor and the first of its kind outside of the state of California. The university students and professors say the first thing you notice about the tractor is how small it is. But once you start watching the tractor work, you realize how quiet it is. And then once you operate the tractor, you realize since it's electric, it has instantaneous torque. So the goal is to use the equipment for research and teaching it through the extension office. Professors and extension uh, employees will be able to watch the equipment work and make sure that there is applicable tools and situations to where these types of technology can hit full scale farming. So from a teaching perspective, they'll use the tractor in classes to show modern up-to-date cutting edge sensory technology because of its autonomousness. They will then look at the torque and electric requirements necessary for the fact that it is not a combustion engine driven tractor. It is on the smaller side. It is sized at 40 horsepower, but supposedly has already determined the capabilities of doing what up to 60 horsepower combustible engines can do. So it'll be interesting to see what the extension office does as well. But this tractor has the opportunity to be run both manually and in autonomous functions. So it'll be a great project and tool for the University of Missouri to continue to work with. Well, Tanner, it must be autonomous day today because Raven Industries also announced their plan to launch their cart automation which of course is the driverless grain cart operator. I'm guessing we're going to see some of Colin Hurd's technologies here from Smart Ag as a part of this, since he was, of course, acquired by Raven Industries a few years ago. But Raven's top goal with this is, of course, to allow the grain cart to be operated autonomously and allow combine operators to sync with the carts and allow them for faster unload on the go time. Raven's top goals here with the system are to increase harvest productivity, maxim, or excuse me, minimize grain spill, and reduce operator stress in the cab. And of course, labor. Tanner is also a huge issue many farmers are facing, and especially this time of year. So the Raven cart automation will be in use this harvest season when grain tanks come full. Uh, but they also said they've done quite a bit of research on this technology and 67% of farmers they surveyed are planning to adopt automated technology by 2027 with 47% of that group planning to adopt it by just 2025 Tanner. So seems like the marketplace is certainly demanding it and ready for this technology and Raven cart automation is now available through Case IH and New Holland dealers, Tanner. So you could get it in your hands, in your fields. Absolutely. Uh, hopefully, yes, some of Colin's technology gets used there. Ethanol output plunged to its lowest level in more than four months and inventories were higher, dictating a lower demand. The production topped out at 980,000 barrels a day. That's down from 1.039 barrels a day last week. Some of the speculation is old crop corn is not as easily accessible as ethanol plants are gearing up for harvest inventories to show up. Ethanol inventory rose to 21.681 million barrels. That's up from 21.171. So the government will continue to report upon these, but that is the highest level that has been in place since the 18th of August, so nearly a month, as those ethanol figures are coming in. 
Well, Tanner, speaking of ethanol, the EPA has been urged by multiple groups to enhance their oversight of the Renewable Fuel Standard Program to prevent fraudulent activities and those people that are trying to circumvent program rules, according to a report released from the EPA Office of the Inspector General. The report highlighted a lot of different vulnerable vulnerabilities within the program. I'm having a hard time speaking today, but um, I hadn't realized this. Apparently, there were around 339 million counterfeit renewable identification numbers, or RINs, since the inception of the RFS in 2005, with a total approximated value of $87 million. This report identified several other weaknesses, the biggest, of course, being those counterfeit RINs, which I don't even understand how you would counterfeit that. I think that's its own separate issue. But we also saw some other issues quoted as um, companies al allowing them to submit their transactions up to 30 days after they occur, the generation of those surplus RIN numbers as well as surplus of ID numbers by companies, insufficient verification of renewable fuel transactions. So not really knowing from start to finish uh, if they actually used blending with renewable fuels and a few other issues, Tanner. But uh, EPA has not answered that directly yet, but I'm sure we'll see more of that to come. The White House is announced that they will have a meeting today with President Zelensky. They are looking to provide a new aid package. But while Zelensky is in the United States, Russia has been taking advantage of his absence. The Ukraine has faced a fresh series of Russian attacks. New strikes on the city of Kyrgyzstan killed at least two people, while attacks on Kiev and Kharkiv left more people injured. Ukraine said it did shoot down 36 of the 43 missiles fired by Russia. Ukraine's carried out a massive missile strike of their own on the Russian base on in Crimea. The Ukrainian security services stated that the strike was launched against the Saki military airfield. Poland also is saying that even though the U.S. plans to provide another aid package, that they will stop providing weapons to Ukraine as tensions are rising via, between Kiev and Warsaw. This is all due to the temporary ban on Ukrainian grain imports, as some of the EU countries have done. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that as Warsaw has been an ally and provided information as well as weapons for them to use. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. Air defense for Ukraine is among the top issues, as that's one of the largest focuses Zelensky has in his conversation with Biden today. But I'm all out of headlines, Delaney. I am as well here, Tanner, aside from taking a quick look at the overnight markets. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. Well, as we head into the opening session here, December corn three and three quarters cents lower at 478. New crop soybeans down 17 cents at 13.03. December hard red winter wheat down five and a half cents at 7.23 and a half. Chicago wheat down five and a half cents at 5.83. And December spring wheat down three and a half cents at 7.80. Livestock yesterday finished higher on the board as October live cattle added $1.10 to close at a buck 86.77 and a half. October feeder cattle closed $1.22 and a half cents higher at 260.57 and lean hogs will open this morning at 85.77 and a half up 92 and a half cents yesterday. 
Tanner, for today's conversation, we're taking things over to talk fertilizer prices and marketing with Josh Linville. With the Farm Smart Podcast, we're not just talking change, we're making change together. Farm Smart is where sustainability meets opportunity. We're helping growers leverage sustainable practices and products to record positive environmental impacts and provide new revenue streams. Tune in to learn more about sustainable ag and the opportunities and incentives that are enabling us to get to the future faster. Get the Farm Smart podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at nutrientagsolutions.com slash farmsmart. As I mentioned, we are chatting today with Josh Linville, the Vice President of Fertilizer for StoneX. Josh, thanks for joining us this morning. There's certainly a lot of topics to talk about when it comes to fertilizer. Yes, it's. Uh, it, we thought after the last couple of years that things would quiet down and we'd uh, get back to a more normal, quiet markets, but it has been anything but. Absolutely. And I want to jump into some of those fundamental events that we've seen lately driving the fertilizer market, because you do a great job, I think, of keeping everyone up to date. And, you know, I have to admit, before the fertilizer hike that happened a few years ago, I don't know if I knew who you were, but absolutely (laughs) after that, after that event started inspiring, I think everybody knows who you are now in the fertilizer space. But bring us up to date. What are the big headlines right now driving fertilizer prices? Well, if we focus in on the nitrogen market, it has been, it's obviously the international side. And, and this is one of the things that we preach as a group, as an organization, is that we need to be aware of our region, our local areas. But ultimately, we're part of a world market. So things halfway around the world certainly matter to what the pricing, what the direction, things like that are at home. So when we've been looking internationally, we've been watching the urea market very, very closely. And here recently, that has been circling around one event and that is india purchasing tenders purchasing urea tonnage for their own use and quite a few fireworks coming out of that event not only just from an india standpoint but also from a chinese participation and then on the second tender a lack of participation yeah that's quite interesting when you think about where we're looking to keep an eye on this market i'm i'm excited to get deeper into the conversation when we compare nitrogen options for the farmers themselves, but overall, where are we sitting compared to this time last year? Prices are down significantly uh, from where we were this time last year. And in fact, I think here a few weeks ago, now prices have changed a little bit. So these percentages have changed since that point in time. When we looked at the nitrogen and the potash markets from, and I think I ran these numbers from April, 2022, that's when we hit the highest numbers. But when we looked at those percentages, we were down, it was, I believe, 50, 60, 65% from where we were. Uh, Phosphate a little bit less, anywhere from 40 to 45. It hasn't done quite the work the nitrogen and the potash markets have done. So, but to sit there and say, uh, the farmers, everybody out there in the marketplace has been seeing it. Values are down pretty substantially from where we had gotten to. So, so Josh, as you look at farm profitability this year, of course, there are other inputs to consider, but from a fertilizer perspective, should farmers be theoretically making more money this year with less fertilizer costs? Yes, and that's a great point to make, is that I understand that when I'm looking at this, I'm a, listen, I'm a fertilizer guy, so I look at it strictly from a fertilizer point of view, and that's one of so many inputs that go in to raise a crop every single year. But from a strict fertilizer point of view, the value is significantly better 
than where it was 12 months ago, 24 months ago. Uh, one of the metrics that we use to look at the marketplace is rather than just looking at the flat price, which obviously it's a great indicator and something we need to watch. But ultimately, we look at that relationship between fertilizer and grain values, whether that be corn, beans, wheat, whatever the whatever is being asked for out there to look at that differential. The value today is back in line with what we would consider normal for recent history. Uh, you look at the last two years, we were setting, if we weren't setting high records, we were very, very close to it. So it has come off substantially. The value of fertilizer is intensely improved from 12 and 24 months ago. We know that there's a lot of factors that go into what form of nitrogen our listeners are going to apply to their crops for this growing season. But as you look across the options available, is there a clear front runner for most economical or more bang for your buck? Um, so far this summer, the biggest one that we have seen has been anhydrous. Uh, the manufacturers of anhydrous here across the U.S. and up in Canada came out with summer fill values that were extremely aggressive. Uh, they did exactly what they needed to do to get this marketplace excited and bring that demand forward. They did a fantastic job. And they did the same thing when uh, fall prepay programs, which is what truly sets that fall marketplace. Fantastic values, values that we hadn't seen in a very, very long time. So that has been the front runner from our standpoint, but really when we look at UAN and we look at urea, both of those got to very good values. When we look at potash, they did a very good job as well. It's not to sit there and say they didn't. Uh, as I mentioned, phosphate was okay. It got very close to what we would consider the good to great range. Uh, but since that point, there's been some things that have happened. Now, all of a sudden, it's sitting on the middle to upper side of recent years. It's going to be, I don't want to say overpriced, but it's definitely getting higher in value. So Josh, as we head into harvest season, of course, folks are going to be thinking about fall field work as well as locking in inputs for next year. And, you know, I think back to some previous years where farmers were nervous to lock in fertilizer prices for the following year because they didn't know if prices were going to continue to go higher or if they should take a chance and things were going to keep going lower. So I think we're in a similar position now, but what are you recommending to folks as far as fertilizer needs for 2024? It, it, that fear, that worry, that nervousness is very real, and it should be felt because that's very much a situation. When you look at some of these historical values, just the flat price, some of these values are still on the higher side. So there is still some theoretical downside risk to these marketplaces. Um, there's two things that we're continuing to kind of talk about in the marketplace that we continue to focus on. Number one, as we are looking to secure those inputs, we also want to be looking at selling some grain against it. Uh, we view farming as manufacturing. It's inputs and outputs. It's that relationship. And that's, again, looking at the price of fertilizer versus the price of corn. So when we sit there and we look at making some of these purchases, we also recommend considering selling some of that grain against it. And I understand that forward selling grain comes with some of its own risks that we have to factor in. But that's our best hedge mechanism today to make sure that, let's say, that price of fertilizer does fall out of bed and all of a sudden it does start to slide all the way into next spring. Well, because we have sold that grain, we've already locked it in. We've locked in both sides of that equation. So that's one thing we are continuing to preach, continuing to talk to the marketplace about. The second is we do need to be aware of logistical risk. Uh, we always talk about it in terms of price risk and things like that. There's still a lot of logistical things that we need to be wary about. Uh, last fall, the big storyline was very low water levels in the Mississippi River. We are very close to being right back to there again this fall. That is the artery system for our transportation and fertilizer. So if that shuts down, we're in trouble. Uh, rail can only do so much. Trucks, we seem to lose more and more trucks every single year. 
And so we've got a logistical side that is struggling to keep up. And you've got a retail sector who is also looking at these prices and looking at the price risk and saying, I don't know if I really want to take the risk and put this stuff in and just hope that the farmer shows up to buy it. Or given how good last spring was, a lot of warehouses were empty and we struggled to get those refilled. It may be a situation where they can't get their hands on it in a quick enough time. So we are, while we're talking about offsetting the risk by selling some grain against our purchases, we're also asking everybody, go have that conversation with your retailer. Go have that conversation with your supplier. I understand that can be viewed as a confrontational relationship from time to time. This year, that needs to be more of a partnership. That needs to be have, be more of a conversation back and forth, what we think we'll need, when we'll need it. That way, preparations can be made as best to the market's ability. Yeah, I'm glad that you answered that. That was going to be one of my follow-up questions was – water levels, whether it was uh, rivers in the U.S. or it was Panama Canal, but I also see that you pay attention to weather around the world. You, I saw in the uh, article that was posted that you discussed the earthquake in Morocco. You also had talked about uh, the hurricane that came through and hit Florida just how much are we seeing factored into the marketplace for anticipated weather events coming down the road? Yeah, it's, I'll tell you what, the phosphate market, it, it dodged a very, very close bullet twice, to your point. Um, obviously, we've got tremendous phosphate production capabilities down in Florida, and that loadout sits down in Tampa Bay. Had that hurricane dropped 100, 200 miles like they originally thought? Uh, it's hard to imagine what that would have meant. And these facilities are built for hurricanes. It's Florida. They know they come through. So I, we weren't never worried about you know wind damage or anything like that, but it would mess up the shipping channels getting in and out of that bay. So dodged a very close one there. Morocco, obviously the humanitarian situation was devastating. But from a fertilizer perspective, the production facilities, the conveyor systems, things like that were untouched. So fortunately, so far, both of those events were basically missed uh, very very close and we watched them with a uh, bated breath but ultimately nothing happened but yeah those are things that we're continuing to watch the last two years in the fertilizer markets were really punctuated by black swan events it seems like every other day something major was happening and so when we've seen these events i mean you just automatically assume oh it's going to happen fortunately we're dodging them this time so last question that i've got is what are we seeing Russia and Ukraine dragging out like it has been affecting the long term? Is is that going to have much effect as we go down the, the pipe here? Yes and no. Uh, obviously, Ukraine is not a major fertilizer exporter um, like some of the market had believed. So uh, the situation in Ukraine, again, from a humanitarian situation, horrible. But from a fertilizer only perspective, it's not a big deal. Uh, they don't actually export fertilizer. Where it, it really spooked the market last year when this whole invasion started, Russia is a major exporter, and they are across nitrogen, phosphate, and potash. They are one of the biggest producers, exporters in the world. And so that's one of the things that really drove this marketplace to its extreme levels last March, April, was the belief that we were going to completely lose Russian exports. You know, you had McDonald's and Starbucks and companies like that that were pulling out of that country. And we thought nobody will do business with them from a fertilizer standpoint. That has not been the case. Um, we have figured out not only have they been successful in exporting stuff, their flows are back to normal. And they're in fact, you see them playing a little bit of politics, saying it to countries they're trying to buddy up with. Brazil, India, places like that. So we need to be wary 
of this situation. Uh, we don't think that they'll cross that thin red line that will cause the world to stand up and say no more, we're shutting you off, which would have devastating effects on fertilizer values. But it is something we do need to watch given their importance on the global export marketplace. Josh, we certainly appreciate your time this morning. And if any of our listeners want to follow along or get some of your updates, how can they reach out? Yeah, uh, you can always visit our website, uh, stonex.com. Uh, if you'd like to reach out to me directly, my uh, email is josh.linville, uh, L-I-N as in Nancy, V as in Victor, I-L-L-E, at stonex.com. And yeah, uh, travel a little bit, but we're always around. Try to help out where we can. Fantastic, Josh. Well, thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Well, there you go. It's always good to get those updates for us from the fertilizer side. Don't forget to follow the Farm Smart podcast by visiting www.nutrientagsolutions.com slash farm smart. That was a good episode today, Delaney. It certainly was, Tanner, and I hope that uh, sets our listeners up to be thinking ahead to 2024. But I don't know. I think I'm out of information and news for today, Tanner. So what do you say we let the people go? Let's let them go.